Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And from WBEZ in Chicago, this is Nerdette. Coming up... I'm the girl who has the littlest kid she can remember basically geeked out about the planet. We talked to Kathy Sullivan, a former astronaut who's now the head of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And then we get to know Indira Gandhi on the anniversary of her election. That and your nerd confessions on Nerdette. Because everybody's a little nerdy about something. Make it snappy, nerd! Nerds! I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And you're listening to Nerdette. I don't know about you, Trisha, but now that we're well into January and the holidays are over, I feel like we're in that really miserable part of winter. Where it's just cold and dark and everybody's feeling a little broke and yeah. Exactly. But we found something we think might help console us all during these winter months. Mike Royko is most famous for his character-driven columns in the Chicago Tribune. He wrote for decades... And really tried to capture the Chicago everyman. So he'd create these characters that were an amalgamation of the bartenders he'd met around the city and was an iconic character himself. He wrote this article in 1981. This was a listicle 30 years before listicles were actual things. The premise of Royko's column is that it takes a lot of creative thinking to get through the winter months, especially in a place as cold as Chicago. We loved this list so much that we had our nerd friend Justin Kaufman read some of it. Here are eight ways to beat the winter blahs by Mike Royko. Drinking. Getting roaring drunk has always been a remedy for the doldrums, especially in parts of the world that have long, cold winters. So you might consider throwing a log on the fire and becoming absolutely stinko. Every so often, throw on another log, bite top off another jug, and before you know it, April will be here. Brooding. Brooding is so often overlooked as an absolutely great way to pass dull time. Just pick out all the things you hate about yourself or think back to all the terrible mistakes you made with your life. Things that made you feel guilty, maybe shameful, then sit in front of the fire or a dimly lit room and dwell on them at length. The hours will just fly by. Change lifestyles. Clean out your bank accounts, move into a high-rise apartment, join a racquetball club, hang out at the urban cowboy bars, take a love boat cruise, run amok with your credit cards, and carry on with some attractive but shallow and empty-headed young thing. Winter sports. Cross-country skiing has become very popular, and downhill skiing is growing, but I don't recommend any of these. They can give you a heart attack, frostbite, or a broken leg. The best winter sport in my book, shooting pool. You meet real fascinating people in pool halls or in bars that got pool tables. You can gamble and swear and get in fights. Correspondence. People don't write letters anymore. It's an inexpensive but constructive way to fill empty time especially by writing hate letters. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So make a list to the 10 or 20 people you hate most and write them long, totally honest letters telling them why you hate them in vivid detail. Novels. Make yourself the hero or the heroine, huh? 
You might be surprised at how well you write and the colorful ideas that you would come up with. Binoculars. Powerful binoculars are great for high-rise dwellers whose windows look out on other high-rise dwellers. Holding someone hostage. The TV cameras will show up, so after an hour or two, you could surrender to a TV reporter. You might wind up spending a couple weeks in a nuthouse, but hey, it could be surprisingly interesting and a good way to get through the winter doldrums. If you got any pet ways of fighting off the winter blast, send them in. But please don't suggest the old reliable send out for a cheese and sausage pizza. That's loaded with cholesterol, and I don't like to recommend anything dangerous. Thanks to Justin Kaufman for channeling his best Chicago everyman for us. You know, I tend to stick to hibernation in the winter, but I guess whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to survive the polar vortex. It's actually not a vortex. It's not a vortex right now? No, it's cold, but a vortex is like a swirling mass of cold air. This is just like, you know, when you get like a straight line cold front coming out, that's different from an actual vortex, right? I mean, you know what a vortex looks like. Right. So this is just regular cold, not vortex cold. Exactly. You are the weather nerd of the two of us, so I will trust you on it. And that probably means that our next guest is kind of like a rock star to you. Yes, and I'm pretty sure she's a rock star for you, too, because she's a lady astronaut. Astronauts! Astronauts! (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly! Kathy Sullivan is Undersecretary of Commerce for Oceans and Atmosphere and the NOAA Administrator. That pretty much means she's in charge of the weather. I asked if I could blame her for the polar vortex. Trisha, when people come at you with that, I quickly inform them that NOAA is the equivalent of corporate communications. We are not production. So <laughs> if you've got a complaint about the weather or you want to put an order in for something else, that is 1-800-NOT-OUR-JOB. <laughs> but we are certainly the guys that collect the data that becomes the environmental intelligence that reaches you through your smartphone or through your newspaper or through your television broadcaster. Noah, more broadly, the sub-cabinet title is very aptly put, Oceans and Atmosphere, and all of the dynamics and intersections with life on Earth that oceans and atmospheres uh, drive, which is pretty much all of them, frankly. We've got, I'm quite convinced, the coolest mission of any federal agency. Our realm runs literally from the surface of the sun to the bottom of the sea. There is an equivalent of weather, if you will, on the sun that actually impacts the Earth all the time, but sometimes it gets quite stormy, and that can make a mess of satellite operations and power grids, computers, and all sorts of things. The ocean, of course, has a kind of weather of its own as well, with eddies and currents that behave a lot the way the currents and flows in the atmosphere do, but it's obviously kind of a thicker fluid. If you ever go out in a boat and pull out a chart to see what the water depth is around you, that's a NOAA chart. That part of NOAA goes all the way back to President Thomas Jefferson. It takes a collection of capabilities and instruments and talents to keep a pulse on this planet and translate the scientific data that comes from that pulse-taking into what I call environmental intelligence, timely, actionable, and reliable information that you can actually, and, and obviously 300 million Americans a day do, uh, actually use. Still to come, we talk to Kathy Sullivan about her time as an astronaut, get to know great lady nerd of history Indira Gandhi, and hear your nerd confessions. This is Nerdette. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, 
Cru and author Viet Tanwen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. You're listening to Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. This week, we're talking to Kathy Sullivan. She was one of NASA's first female astronauts. She flew on three shuttle missions during her 15 years in NASA, including the mission that deployed the Hubble Space Telescope. So if you've gawked at gorgeous images from the Hubble Telescope, you have Kathy Sullivan to thank for that. I'm the girl who, as the littlest kid she can remember, basically geeked out about the planet. And that sounds outrageously broad and bold, but it's awfully close to the mark, starting with magazines and books and maps and things like that that are accessible to you in the 50s and 60s at age 6 and 8 and 10, but quickly became fascinated by you know, expeditions that I would read about that, wow, people actually did. People planned trips and climbed mountains or went to the jungle or figured out ways to build craft that would take them deep into the ocean or all the way to the moon. That whole process, how do you even imagine doing that? And how do you then imagine what kind of gear, what kind of equipment, what kind of a craft it would take? And then how do you not just imagine it, but how do you translate that imagination through engineering into something real and then go do it? Well, and Kathy, it reminds me of a conversation I was having just last weekend with my nephew, who's five years old. And we were drawing constellations and talking about outer space, which is very exciting and interesting to him right now. And he said he might like to be an astronaut, but like you said, he didn't quite know what it would mean besides going to space. And so we had a fun conversation about all the things an astronaut has to be. Maybe it's being a pilot and a scientist and a teacher. What do you think are the most important combination of elements or professions that have to sort of merge together to be successful in, like you said, the environment where the risks are high, but they're not unknown? Yeah, I think you and your nephew got a lot of the list right. You've got to be a good and insatiable learner. You've got to be a teacher or a good communicator because almost anything that you're going to try to do is going to require more than one person, more than you. And so good communication and mutual understanding and everything from a sports team to a spaceflight team is a really key part of that. The piece I would say you sort of left out for the kinds of challenges that have drawn me is got to have a little bit of Maytag repairman in you. Sure. <laughs> how, how do things work and how many improvisational ways can I come up with by drawing on the knowledge I have, by drawing on reasoning abilities, by drawing on also flashes of intuition or inspiration to work around a circumstance I didn't expect. My first flight involved a very large radar antenna that we were unfolding to start taking radar images, uh, geological and oceanographic images. And it was folded like a three-part sandwich. So one leaf would unfold towards the tail of the orbiter, and then the other leaf would unfold towards the nose of the orbiter. And then we could unbolt the whole thing so the whole array could tilt. Well, it was folded together with some spring forces on those hinges. So when we let loose the very first latch and unfolded that first leaf, the whole thing started to bounce and oscillate 
all of us looking out the windows watching this in sort of bizarre slow motion as this thing just gyrates like we've never seen it or ever expected it to do. All of us are of an age that we're thinking this looks like the Tacoma Narrows Bridge, which shook itself <laughs> right down into the water. This is in a shuttle era before continuous TV coverage, so no one on the ground is seeing this. It looks like it's going to shake itself apart in a heartbeat. And long story short, it was rising off of its pad and then settling back on its pad as it just wafted back and forth. And at one moment that it settled back down, at that split second, I could throw a switch that would start the other leaf moving, which was either going to help fix it or make it all really worse. And so I threw the switch, and happily the answer was help fix it. Any even minor challenge in life, virtually any day in life, will present you some circumstance you didn't anticipate. The stereotype of an engineer in our society, and the stereotype to some degree of astronaut in our society, I think is a very dour, static, by the book. I think it has a lot more to do with how science is taught in school, which is generally badly, mm -hmm. uh, than how science and engineering really are done in the real world. So there's a big tendency to completely not see and really undervalue the degrees of creativity and even intuition and inspiration that are part and parcel of succeeding as an astronaut or being an effective engineer or an effective scientist. You were the first American woman to walk in space. We've seen some photos of what that looks like, but when you're in space, what does it sound like? Liftoff on a space shuttle is rather like being embedded in an earthquake, being propelled off the planet. So the first stage boosters are very turbulent and percussive. You're inside two layers of the spaceship and a sound-reducing helmet, and it is still seriously really loud. So everything is shaking. Someone's pushing on the back of your chair, not at a bone-crushing level, but at a pretty impressive level, for eight and a half minutes. And it gets dark outside really fast because you pop quickly above the atmosphere. It's just for the first two minutes in particular, like being inside a jet engine. It's a big general background roar, plus all the shaking, plus all the pushing on your back. When those two boosters drop off at about two minutes and 15 seconds, you're suddenly on the world's smoothest electric train. Someone's still pushing on your seat. You're still accelerating. At least dawned on me, the first flight in particular, that you know, this is not a bone-crushing acceleration, but this is really going on a very long time. <laughs> the noise is all 120 feet behind you in the main engine, so it's comparatively quieter. Physics tells you that it would be silent in the vacuum of space because there's no physical medium there to transmit sound. But you can't survive in the vacuum of space, so you are never going to hear that silence, or you're going to hear it for a fraction of a second before you lose consciousness. So the sounds of living and working in space are the sounds of machinery that's keeping you alive. You hear what comes to be a quiet whir, it's actually a bit loud, but your brain puts that in the background, of the fans that are circulating the air in the cabin, of the pumps that are circulating water when you've got uh, one of the water systems working. In a spacesuit, you hear the same sorts of things because a spacesuit is a complete spaceship that just happens to be shaped like your body. Mm -hmm. All of the essentially the same set of pumps and fans and motors that you have making the space station or the space shuttle runner miniaturized on your back. You hear the whir and the water system is running all the time to keep your body cool. So you hear the whir of the fans and the pumps. You get very attuned to whether they're running very steady or not. Tiny little waverings and the fans and the pumps, and fresh oxygen that 
your breathing is fed into the suit through a plenum on top of your helmet, so you also hear a little bit of a whoosh of the oxygen coming into your helmet right up by your ears. And then, of course, the to and fro of the communications as you talk to your crewmate. You just passed over Japan a little while ago. So you're in the middle of the machinery, which is where people like me actually like to be, so that's fine. Now, Kathy, we read a lot lately about the imposter syndrome in the business world, in academia, and even with students still in school, in K-12 environments, where young women, more often than men, have what they're calling the imposter syndrome. This idea that when you achieve success, you doubt yourself more at the core of what you're doing. Even if you are up for a promotion, you might not think you deserve it. You've spent almost your whole career in environments that were often probably a boys club. And you had to have some unwavering confidence to tackle some of these challenges. Why do you think that this is still such a difficult thing for women to do in other environments? Or what advice would you have for someone who might be feeling like an imposter in pursuit of their dream? I don't know that it really is the case that your confidence needs to never waver. You need to find ways to move past the wavering point and put your best foot forward. So I think you've characterized it well. It is a commonplace mindset, much more for women. Even the latest piece I saw was an interview with the woman who's currently president of Harvey Mudd College. Very accomplished. If you wrote 10 points of her accomplishment and stacked them up next to 10 points of 30 other people's accomplishment, you know, 50-50 men and women, it would look the same. But it clearly still feels somewhat different to her. She recounts, and I would agree, it's just a matter of realizing for whatever reason, there is this voice in your head now and then that actually speaking falsehood sounds kind of convincing sometimes, but it's actually wrong. And you've got to learn how to really trust the fact that, yeah, it's there, but it's just not true and not let it phase you and put you off your game. Own the things you've done and also maybe round out your personality to realize there's nothing unnatural or unfeminine of understanding what you really have done and what your skills and talents really are and being able to express those and being able to use those. I don't have any magic answer. I'm not exempt from it. I just think you have to find ways to grow through it and carry on. My stubbornness and insatiable curiosity pulled me through more things than maybe some other folks, but that's just my good fortune. Thanks to Kathy Sullivan for talking with us. In January of 1966, Indira Gandhi was elected Prime Minister of India, Not only was she India's first female prime minister, she's also still the only woman to lead the country. We wanted to learn more about this controversial political figure and how her legacy lives on in the world's largest democracy. If you act dominating, if you try to take control of a group, if you express leadership inclinations, the first comment you're likely to hear is in Hindi, which literally translated means, do you think you're Indira Gandhi or what? (laughs) (laughs) 
we found someone kind enough to offer us a crash course in Indian political history. I'm Shweta, Shweta Singh, and I'm an associate professor at Lila University of Chicago, and I'm also the editor of an online magazine called Empowered Women of the Indian Subcontinent. It seems like if you combine Hillary Clinton, Margaret Thatcher, and Oprah, you'd get a sense of how central Indira Gandhi was to India in the 1970s and early 80s. Being what she came to be known as an extremely dominant, extremely ambitious, and extremely capable young woman. She was an only child from an elite family active in the freedom movement. Her father, Nehru, was the country's first prime minister. She studied at Oxford and was groomed to lead. Eventually, because her mother had passed away, then she said this in repeated interviews, I'm choosing to support my father because he really needs me and this is our legacy. Indira's mother died when she was 20 and she was 30 years old when her father was elected prime minister. So she became the hostess for all of the government's ceremonial needs. And at all those dinners and social events, Indira Gandhi was watching and listening and learning as her father worked as prime minister. In her own time as prime minister, she nationalized banks, ruled strictly with an authoritarian and socialist agenda. She fought a war with Pakistan and supported the founding of an independent Bangladesh. But she didn't deal well with dissent. She decided to just rip apart the democratic institutions and she established a state of emergency. So for a long while she was known as the emergency lady and there were all kinds of atrocities that are quoted, but that's what happens by default when there is no system. And then 1977, she didn't even win her own seat in the parliamentary elections, which is a statement for someone who'd won everything. But guess what? Three years of a new government later, 1980, Indra Gandhi springs back. And this time, it's a capitalist Indra Gandhi. Shweta says that unlike many of today's politicians in India, and certainly here in the United States, Indira Gandhi wasn't controversial for the sake of attention. She was overseeing an incredibly tumultuous time in the nation's history. And Shweta says gender was almost never discussed by Indira or the press while she was in power. To be in a system which is essentially a patriarchy, especially back then, and then to not have someone talk about the fact as to how you dress or your personality or your woman traits. Never. She was a master of media. So I think she made sure no one talked about her as a woman. It's fascinating to look back on this figure from Indian politics at a time when in India and in the U.S., gender is still a central topic whenever a female politician steps forward into the spotlight. Indira Gandhi's politics were controversial, and you would be hard-pressed to find feminism in her policies. But she was a true blue feminist, and I think for her, gender was inconsequential. There's a common quote from Indira Gandhi's aunt that gets bandied about when you're talking about her as this almost gender-neutral figure. Her father's sister, her bua, said about Indira Gandhi, she's the only man in her cabinet. Thanks to Shweta Singh for helping us get to know Indira Gandhi, India's first female prime minister, on the anniversary of her election. Shweta is an associate professor at Loyola University and the editor of the online magazine Empowered Women of the Indian Subcontinent. We went down a YouTube rabbit hole researching Indira Gandhi, and we're going to post on nerdatpodcast.com some of the YouTube videos we found of old BBC documentaries and other archival footage. Learn more about all the lady nerds of history we talk about on Nerdat at nerdatpodcast.com slash history. Time now for homework from Kathy Sullivan. Go to the nearest hands-on science center and go through every exhibit hall and spend a full day at a science center. You know, don't do this 30-second rocket by and punch the button once. Pick one exhibit or one device in there and really suss out how does it work, what is it showing me, and what is it trying to teach me.
Your other piece of homework this week is to check out the Makers series of documentaries, specifically the one called Women in Space. You can watch it for free online, and it chronicles Kathy Sullivan and the five other astronauts from NASA's first group of female adventurers. There's a link at nerdatpodcast.com. Now it's time to hear from you. Time for Nerd Confessions. Internet, this is Kelsey from Fairbanks, Alaska. There was one year when I was in a long-distance relationship with my high school boyfriend, who was a linguist, and I was thinking, how in the world can I make a memorable gift for this linguist? Well, I remembered he liked mint, so I created a bunch of chocolates and poured them into a chocolate mold, filled them with mint. To complete being able to tie it into his own interest, the International Phonetic Alphabet, I um, wrote each of the letters on every single one of the chocolates, and I can't remember how many letters there are, but there's dozens. So I sent over dozens of chocolates just so that I could have every letter of the IPA alphabet on there. Now, to be fair, this listener did call us to tell us this when we were talking about holiday gifts, but I think this could double as a Valentine's Day treat. So you could still use this, folks. If you have a linguist or a word nerd in your life, maybe make them some word nerd chocolates or cookies. I'm pretty sure delicious snacks are allowed any time of year, frankly. Call us and leave your nerd confession, 312-600-5638. Call us at 312-600-5638 to tell us about when you were at your nerdiest. Everything from epic fails to humble brags, welcome. Or call and suggest a great lady nerd of history for us to profile or just say hi. We love voicemails. Thanks to Kathy Sullivan and Shweta Singh for joining us this week. Thanks also to Sarah Rand and Alexandra Solomon for their production help. And to Justin Kaufman for the dramatic reading of Mike Royko's column. Find us at nerdatpodcast.com. That's also where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Or buy a Nerdat mug or a flask, whichever type of beverage you use to get you through the winter. No judgments, guys. You can talk with us on Twitter at Nerdat Podcast and like us on Facebook. This show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson. With help from Joe Dassault and Iris Lynn. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org. Thank you for listening on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Throw some stars and write a review if you're feeling generous. Like the excellent Sunshine and Whiskey 90 did on iTunes. Is it 90 degrees or is it 90 proof whiskey? I have many questions about the 90. Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know what the 90 means. Maybe was... they were born in 1990? Oh man, that's terrifying. <laughs> They'd be 24. That's whiskeying age. Yeah, I guess that's not that terrifying. Well, in any <laughs> case, sunshine and whiskey, pretty much our favorite things. We appreciate all your stars, retweets, and shares. And there's one other way you can help Nerdette. If you're a nerd with a business or you work for one that wants to get its message heard by Nerdette listeners, you can underwrite this show. Email nerdettepodcast at gmail.com to learn more about sponsorship opportunities. Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Macs. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.